Hang on, I'm getting an echo. Uh, yeah. Hey friends. Hello friends. You remember no? Uh, yeah. Or maybe. Berber. Hey friends. You may remember meeting Sylvia Martinez on this show in episode 54. Or you may know her from the hit book she co-authored with Dr. Gary Steger called Invent to Learn, Making Tinkering and Engineering in the Classroom. Or maybe you don't know her yet. In which case, you now have the good fortune of finding her work for the first time. In any case, she's also a collaborator on one of the most unique professional learning gatherings that I know of. And after two hard years behind us, it's finally back. The Constructing Modern Knowledge Summer Institute is the premier event for educators, librarians, museum directors, or makerspace leaders. Really anyone who works with K-16 students who want to learn how to create hands-on, minds-on experiences that surprise, delight, and promote real learning. After a two-year hiatus, CMK returns for 2022 with a face-to-face -face program in a state-of-the-art facility in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Constructing Modern Knowledge will be held July 25th through 28th, 2022 in Chattanooga, the first time in the Southeast US. CMK is a unique experience. Attendees regularly report that CMK made them feel refreshed and reinvigorated as learning professionals. During the four days of CMK, participants have the opportunity to engage in intensive computer-rich project development with peers supported by a world-class faculty. This year's guest speakers include best-selling author Alfie Cohn, hard history project director Kate Schuster, and acclaimed musician and online learning expert Peter Martin. Social events and a mountain of objects to think with promise to make CMK 2022 a transformative experience for anyone looking to not just get back to normal, but to take learning to a new level. CMK this year is going to be held in the new Global Center for Digital Innovation, the state-of-the-art fab lab that's going to supercharge participant projects and offer exposure to a lot of project possibilities. Visit constructingmodernknowledge.com for more information and to register. Space is limited. That's constructingmodernknowledge.com. Now for the show. So um, I'm Cassidy Puckett. I'm an assistant professor of sociology at Emory University in Atlanta. When my son was small, we would walk together in my neighborhood. And if there were electronics at the curb, awaiting disposal at a neighbor's, our rule was that if you can carry it home, you can take it apart. Screwdrivers and safety goggles had a particular appeal at that stage. And so I didn't have to sell the idea at all. Having heard so many talented engineers, scientists, software developers, and designers tell their story, beginning with tinkering and taking things apart as kids, the potential of his instincts to cause destruction were no alarm to me. And as he's grown older, my curiosity about what other positive habits I could be helping him cultivate toward geekdom has only grown. You can imagine my thrill when Cassidy Puckett an assistant professor in the Department of Sociology at Emory University shared an early manuscript for what has become the recently published Redefining Geek, Bias and the Five Hidden Habits of Tech-Savvy Teens. I think you're going to love hearing more about the book and enjoy my talk with Cassidy Puckett. This is No Such Thing, 
a podcast about learning in the digital age. I'm Mark Lesser. I want to start with your experience as a teacher. Um, I don't know if you've you've uh, done this yet, but um, I'm going to actually read read something from your introduction that I thought was oh. really kind of great. <laughs> so um, you say, I look around the room, given the demographics of science, technology, engineering, and math education, and occupational fields, everyone here could be viewed as an unlikely participant. This disparity is particularly true in computer science, where sexist, racist, and classist assumptions about natural differences in technological competence and ambient cues about who belongs in these spaces shape participation. Although not by design, we are all female. You're talking about your, your class. We're all from low-income backgrounds, my students much more so. Almost all of my students are first or second generation immigrants and come from homes where their first language is something other than English, primarily Spanish. The school and neighborhood have limited resources, which isn't to say it isn't a lively, thriving place, but based on gender, racial, and socioeconomic makeup of my class, the school and neighborhood, we should supposedly not be engaged in what we're doing, playing with computers and coding, given that research shows we are the least likely people to be included in these aspects of STEM. So I found this to be such a really kind of beautiful paragraph because while, you know, as a researcher, I would imagine it's a little like, it's really hard to, to try and sell a book that is five years of work. Um, and you come up with a title that's like about these, these effective habits. And the title is important because it makes it accessible. And I know your audience is parents and educators like you were. Um, but I think what's really beautiful about the book is that it's really not about, um, it's not so much a how-to as an investigation to me of um, who gets access and who has the doorways to walk through in order to participate. And I wanted to just sort of bring you back to that moment and um, have you reflect a little bit on what the things, besides this moment in a in a class where you were teaching some HTML, um, what were the things that you were noticing early on in this journey where you were just like, gosh, there is something here and I don't, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but um, I need to keep going. Yeah, I mean, and I, I describe this in the book, um, it really was with with that particular class, with the group of girls, and wanting to to you know understanding that they are so capable, and trying to figure out all right, so how can I help them on this journey? Um, that was the original idea, but I think even then I was sort of buying into the notion that uh, of the digital divide where it's like, well, you know, people, people are just, you know, it's kind of a deficit way of thinking. Um, people don't have technological skills. And if they do like great, then these tech fields will be lovely and everything mm -hmm. will be fine. Like we will, we will save these people by changing them, fixing them, you know, women and, and et cetera. And, and I, I, I didn't 100% buy that, <laughs> right? Um, 
but I also didn't have anything to replace it. Mm. And so, um, what I've learned in the process of, of studying both historically, um, you know, where, where women were, where people of color were in technological fields and, and that they were, you know, push out rather than we're never there to begin mm. with. Right. So, so, you know, computer science, for example, um, had quite a number of women in computing when it was considered more uh, administrative, like <laughs> any idiot can do it, give mm-hmm. it to a, mm-hmm. <laughs> give it to a woman who can be our secretary and like punch the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a, a moment when people figured out, okay, computing is important. We now need to give it to the people that we, you know, that, that activity needs to be given to the people who we think are important. Um, and, and then there was this like justification of it actually through measurement. Um, this book is really a a response back to that and saying, okay, um, you know, I found no differences in these technology habits by race or by social class, for example, um, that tells you something when we're looking at Chicago, uh, in, in, in my data, I was looking at 27, uh, schools, um, 187, uh, eighth graders and, and there were no racial, ethnic, uh, or socioeconomic differences. Um, and with girls, it was the technology specific habits that really differentiated them. That tells me that it's gatekeeping, um, that the bigger problem is 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 what's happening in terms of of, of gatekeeping processes um, in technology education in technology fields. Um, that's very different than um, you know we're gonna solve all of the pipeline problems by you know teaching kids and then everything will be set. Mm-hmm. Um, so why did you decide to write? about the habits and not the gatekeeping. I mean, I do talk about gatekeeping as, as one part of it, but the habits, um, if we only talk about the problems and not the solutions, we're never going to get anywhere. Mm. Right. And part of the solution is seeing habits as technological competence. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you're just assuming, well, you know, this, this good, this person is just good with technologies. Maybe you're not seeing people's abilities at all. Um, you're making assumptions, you're giving technologies to the kids that maybe are like, you know, as a teacher, you might say, well, I don't know what to do with technology in my classroom. So I'm going to give it as a treat to the good kids. Mm -hmm. Maybe you never see the kids who are maybe troublemakers in the classroom, but are actually, as I saw in this one kid in Chicago, he was like super troublemaker, just constantly late for class and doing all kinds of things. But he was like <laughs> coding C at home. Like, <laughs> you know, it's this form of um, because now we see technology as this special thing, there there tends to be this thing of like, we're going to give it as an extra. Mm. So you finish your homework or you finish your work in class and I'll give you time on the computer. Um, that I saw a lot, even when I was doing the survey uh, that, that in classes um, uh, teachers would, would do those, those kinds of things. Um, 
or or they would select certain kids to help them with technological problems. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the good kids um, in their classes, and and so you know it becomes this this reward, um, uh, you know, a special thing. Um, so there's that level of of gatekeeping that's happening. Um, so I I do talk about the dynamics of gatekeeping, but I'm also offering the habits as um, as a way to address that gatekeeping dynamic by observing what they can do through there's the, the 15, uh, item measure I call the digital adaptability scale. So you can break your assumptions about what kids are capable of simply by asking them to fill that out. Um, so already, you know, conceptualizing technological competence as this thing that you, that you learn and continue to learn and that it's, you know, um, uh, a, ser- a set of habits and then asking kids what their habits are. Um, also asking them where they're learning these, ha- where they're, de- you know, being taught these habits, whether that's at school or at home. Um, I would say don't, assume that just because there's a technology teacher at the school that they're getting any of the habits at school. Um, because a lot of times, especially in, in schools where there's more emphasis on, you know, well, there's a lot of schools where the, the, the technology classes are used for test prep, right. Or, or where the testing happens. (laughs) That's what I saw in Chicago, an entire month for testing. Mm. Right. Um, so the, even if the computer teachers want to teach these habits um, or more creative computing, they're under pressure um, really not to, to they're not able to do that. So understanding that you need to ask every kid, what is it that they're able to, to do and where do they need some help and where are they getting support for those things and not assuming just because there's a there's a computer class, right? That they're actually getting good stuff in that computer class. Um, uh, so, so that's really why I'm focusing on the habits is, is being a part of the solution to that gatekeeping problem. I find that the term habits is a more accessible way to talk about competency yeah, uh, or competencies. And, um, when we talk about competency-based approaches, sometimes, I mean, that's a scary term for parents, certainly, and even for a lot of educators. And um, when we talk about them as habits, it's like, oh, you know, brushing your teeth is a habit. Um, so so this has got to be, this has got to be something I can support at home or in my classroom or, or whatever it is. And I think that um, fighting, you know, <sighs> Fighting the the norms that marginalize certain um, that marginalize students based on other factors um, and sort of combating that through habits is a really <clears throat> is a really powerful and and um, and accessible seeming idea. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about that I hoped you would have some thoughts about is like. I wondered if you had another, obviously books get published over a period of time that, and you, you can't really, um, you can't really 
manage um, to a certain point as an author. Like, I wondered if you had another two chapters to write based on what we've experienced as a world in the last yeah. two years. Yeah. How would you relate the the habits and just the questions that you set out to answer to what we've been, what young people specifically have been living through in the last two years? You know, the pandemic and online schooling, there's all kinds of issues that are that are coming up, obviously, in terms of, of access, of reliable internet, um, of, you know, are there devices that are having to be shared among family members? Um, how available are families to, to help in, in the learning process, especially with younger kids and getting their attention and being able to be, I mean, this, the whole situation is really um, just terrible. Um, and um, I don't, I, I don't want to make light of it in any, any way, but there is, um, oddly enough, a potential opportunity in this moment of, okay, so we all have to learn how to use this technology. I do sort of wish that, um, that some of the idea, and maybe this is, you know, over, overstating the, the use of the utility of the book, uh, but I'm hoping that it's helpful for, for, um, schools and for teachers and to say, okay, you know, we've got, you know, a lot, a huge challenge in front of us, but there are also new things that we can do because our, our education is so technology based and technology focused that maybe it's time to pivot and learn some of this stuff, right. When, when we get so, um, uh, so much demand to to not focus on the the tools that are, you know, foundational to all kinds of life now, right? Uh, the way we socialize, the way we um, uh, do our banking, the way we, um, you know, engage in 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 political debate. So much is technology based that. Um, you know, with the pandemic, maybe maybe there is an opportunity of of being able to say, okay, well, here we are. Like, let's do some um, things with technology that maybe we couldn't do before, um, uh, because that was you know that was largely swept to the side or for for particular things, and and now we really do need to to or we have an opportunity to focus a little bit more on on that. Um, you know, these very important, um, skills. Can we talk about the title a little bit? Tell me about, um, tell me about like, you know, uh, geekdom is a, uh, a feature of this, the dialogue that happens in this book. And I wanted you to just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So that, you know, really came with my conversations with kids, um, and teens, they, uh, so one in particular named Suma Lee, um, she's an eighth grader in Chicago and she was, <laughs> she was like super gamer and did really, really well when I gave her this task to learn Scratch, which is a program out of MIT, um, to teach basic, uh, uh programming skills, um, 
she, I said, you know, what does it mean to be good with technology? And she said, well, it's the geek instinct. And I thought, okay, explain that a little bit more. And she said, you know, you take some of your past learning and you apply it now when you think forward to what you can do in the future. Mm. That didn't strike me as instincts. So I don't, I don't think that that was, you know, that was, that was a kind of misnomer, Mm -hmm. but I do think that there is something to what she said, that there's these these habits, these practices that do happen among people who are good with technology um, and and that are about ways of thinking, acting, and feeling that 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 make them really good with technology. And so I wanted to to break that down. so i I think it is being a geek is using these habits, right? So um she was the one who really, pointed that out to me, um, to take on that identity is to practice these habits and to be recognized by others as having these habits and, and, you know, reveling in your failures. And, (laughs) um, so it's a, it's a, it, it can be right now. I think that, Oddly enough, because I think at one point geek was kind of a, a negative thing and then it became like a cool thing and and more exclusive thing. Um, but I think that there's something that everyone can learn from geek culture. And and that's what the book is about. Um, it, it's opening up those doors so that that we can all practice um those things and, and be able to recognize it in others and where they might need help and where they're excelling and they don't need help and they need more challenges. Right. So, yeah, the first three habits are, are pretty easily generalized across multiple, um, multiple domains and their subjects. However you, you look at that. Tell me about the first three. Yeah. So the first three, they are general habits and then I translate them to the context of technology learning. So those three are, being willing to try and fail, um, managing your frustration and boredom, and using models. Um, so, uh, you know, whether that's other people or information um, in the process of learning that you're using models. Great. So um, when you started this work, did you think that all five of these, or I'm sure you didn't start with a number, but um, did you suspect that such a big part of the habits that make young people, learners generally successful with technology to be so generalizable? Or did you think they were going to be more specific things? So I come from a learning sciences background that was, I got my master's at Stanford and learning design and technology. And so I, I think I knew at some level that there would be, you know, based on past research, there would be, um, these generalizable types of things. Um, and then there would also be specific stuff. Um, that's true of any area of learning. Um, so I, I had a, a, a pretty good feeling that that would be the case. Yeah. So let's talk about the two that were more specific. Yeah. So those, um, you know, I, I, I think of them as technology specific habits, and those two are design logic, which is thinking about the nature of technology's design, sort of why it was designed the way it was, for what purpose, and then how that relates to what you're trying to do with it. 
Um, so, you know, maybe you're trying to do something that is perfectly in line with how it was designed or maybe not. And so there, there can be, of course, limits to what you can do with any piece of technology. Um, and it's important to learn those things to be able to use technologies well. Um, the second one is the one that I get a lot of like, yeah, absolutely. If you're good with technology, you know, efficiencies. So, you know, the shortcuts you can, you look for and you, um, learn the keyboard commands, the batch processing, the anything to sort of make the technologies easier to use. And most technologies have these shortcuts embedded within them, but often they're not, they're hidden, right? So they have to be un, you know, revealed to people, um, past socially. Um, I've learned a lot of keyboard commands through my friends, for example. Um, so that is, and, and those two are, um, really, really important and, and, um, yeah. So those are the, the two technology specific habits. Great. Okay, so um, I'm going to... I wasn't sure if I should get into, because those two, the technology-specific habits, are what differentiate boys and girls. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to go into that if you were going to ask about that later. Mm. <laughs> so, Well, let's, um, let's talk I, about I was, that. I like, hesitating. <laughs> like, am I going to go further? No, I shouldn't go further. Well, let's talk about that. Um, yeah. So I know that part of the exploration or... Um, the the way that things emerged had some specificity as it relates to gender. So, tell me about the what you what you know how the book describes the way that these habits are important as it relates to gender, or yeah. I, sh I should say, gender identity. Yeah. So one of the things that I found when I was looking at, okay, so, you know, race, class, or gender, how do, um, you know, is there some differences by those social categories? And, and I didn't, I, I found that when it came to gender, there were differences. So on average, um, girls were significantly um, lower than boys, which isn't to say there aren't super techie girls. There really are um, that I describe in the book. They're amazing. Um, but on average, there is a significant difference in specifically the two technology-specific habits, um, so design logic and efficiencies. And that, that makes logical sense to me because um, those are habits that really take you know, some, some unlocking the clubhouse doors, sharing those, um, kinds of tricks. Um, and I can, I, I see those processes happening, you know, in gaming culture, for example, having tricks in like the, 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 um, you know, press the button in a certain way, uh, you know, those kinds of things are, are embedded into, to the design of games, um, so you can imagine how that gets circulated among boys, but maybe not necessarily as frequently among mm. girls. But that's, you know, something that definitely can be addressed. Mm. So am I saying this back correctly that um, in some ways what you found was that boys have better access to habits that are socialized through gaming than young women do? Um, one of one of the examples is things like cheat codes as a 
um, as a hack or a workaround to sort of like level up more quickly, young women are not getting access to that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's specifically coming from gaming culture, but have observed this in gaming that there are specific shortcuts that are very typical in gaming culture as being a, you know, part of the design of, of, uh, games. And so whether it's a, a cheat code, um, or it's just simply here are the specific sequences of buttons that you press, not unlike the sequences of buttons that you press on a computer to make them do things in, in more efficient ways. Um, that is, a, a part of the challenge of the game is to find those things and, um, and to get you to think, okay, there's a, there's a way to do this that I'm not getting. I'm not, you know, holding the controller in a certain way. I'm not hitting the buttons in a certain way. Um, so that's just, you know, one instance that I can think of as potentially a source of, of where, um, boys might be getting this more than girls. Uh, you and I first met at a time when I was over, you know, working for an organization that directed a series of, of programs really right in this, um, in this space of trying to build the accessibility narrow gaps in, um, who had access to, to STEM learning, STEM futures, um, STEM habits, and, um, one of the things during that time, one of the things I did a lot was to invite, we would invite professionals all the time to come and talk to young people. And one of the things that was a theme always was, um, we would ask, you know, I'd ask a programmer, like a, like a, a web developer or somebody who was building software, um, new technology at the time, they would always tell stories about taking things apart in their basement or with a uh, member of their family in the garage. Um, and I wondered if that came up for you and whether you feel like it relates directly to one of the habits. Cause I had some, I saw some things in the habits and I was like, Oh, this is that. Um, but I wanted to get your take. That's so, and I mean, so obviously that's one of the things that I observed when I was at mouse. Oh, am I allowed to say mouse? <laughs> sure. sure. <laughs> okay. Um, so when I was at mouse, I, I saw that, I mean, that was one of the things that the, the kids did when I was there is they took computers apart. And it, that was also something that I heard from the girls that I was teaching in Oakland, that a fifth grade teacher of theirs, um, specifically the younger sister of one of the kids, anyway, so she had this fifth grade teacher who had everybody take, um, computers apart, um, that part of it, I think that, you know, taking a computer apart and understanding how it works, I, I might connect that to like design logic, yeah. um, certainly of the hardware. Um, uh, there's something very empowering about understanding, you know, like you, you open up the, the, the cover of something and, and you, I mean, and then there are activities that, that I observed it during mouse, uh, that, um, would show students, you know, here's an opportunity to try and fail, right? So there were little games that they would play on, um, okay, I'm going to, you know, close your eyes. And then the instructor would like pull out the power cord, right? And then 
all right, open your eyes now, try to figure out what's wrong with, with the technology. And they, you know, would systematically go through and they would be taught like, here, try this. Oh no. And then everybody would laugh. It's a game. Um, it's totally okay to fail. Right. Um, and so, so there were opportunities when, when you're learning about the, the, um, how, how technologies work, um, to, to be silly and to fail with them. Um, I think especially with like older technologies that you're not worried about, you know, breaking, um, that can be a great opportunity to, to fail and to fail in a safe, (laughs) safe context. Yeah. So in a way it kind of hits two habits that, and that, yeah, I think it's really nice to have a structured way to think about the, and, and, you know, and data to point to that sort of emphasizes the importance of it. One of the things that struck me and for obvious reasons, I have kids of varying ages and I wondered uh, about the habits, let's say, um, you know, parents who are reading the book and thinking, well, how does this, how does this change if I'm talking to my teenager versus talking to my seven-year-old? You know, most of the the research that I've done has been on teens. And um, so, you know, you, you could, if they would let you fill out, fill out the little digital adaptability scale, <laughs> you could, they might hate it. <laughs> um, or, or you could say to them, why don't you fill this out for yourself? Yeah. <laughs> right if they're interested yeah. and, and just, just, just take a look and see, um, because they might be curious. Um, I, I don't know about seven-year-olds. Um, you know, the, the, the measure that I developed is not, is not, uh, what we call, um, validated on younger kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't even know if they could, <laughs> if they could read it. Um, depending on the, on the language. Uh, so I might just, you know, give them something and, and see what they do with it. Some, when something's new to, to see where they start. Um, and encouraging these habits is something I talk about in, um, you know, just the, the very specific things that programs like mouse would do, like, like taking a computer apart. Um, so I think that the the thing that I saw that was really important with families, and this is something that I, I asked about with my um, big survey in Chicago, was, you know, what do you experience at home and and what do you experience at school and sort of which of these things is really making a difference in terms of your habits. And one of the things was doing different things with technology, mm-hmm. right? Because it's 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 learning habits, and so what it should allow you to do and and work on is moving from one technology or one way of using a technology to another. Yeah. So if they're really good at gaming, great. Maybe there's something else um, that they could do that, and then in the process of learning something new is really where these habits solidify. Um, so, you know, uh, maybe you want to do a little, uh, I don't know, make a podcast <laughs> with yeah. your kids, yeah. for example, and then make a movie and then, um, you know, maybe develop a game or, you know, so the, like doing different types of activities is, is one of the things that, you know, I talk about as, as being really important. Um, 
it's it's not just being like really really good at one technology. It's being able to to transfer that um, across technologies. Yeah. The work represented in this book took a lot of time, and I wonder. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, as great work does sometimes, um, I wonder what surprised you most over the course of that time? Like when you look back and think about real pivot points in the work, where were the surprises? I did not think that efficiencies was going to be so, uh, that it was even going to come up. I mean, I didn't really think think about that, the importance of, of knowing shortcuts, but it, it constantly came up in, you know, okay, so who's good with technology? Oh, well, they've got these little things and people would sort of like move their fingers to indicate they were doing something. They didn't know what. Um, so that was actually really surprising. I just, I didn't think it was that important and it was, it was, it was very important. Mm. Um, so that was a surprise. Um, honestly, I sort of thought that once I measured all of, of the aspects of someone's experiences at home and at school, that I wouldn't necessarily see differences by race or class or gender. I, I didn't, because in my experience, there hadn't been you know, if you were a girl, you might be good or you might be bad. If you're a boy, you might be good. You might be bad. Mm -hmm. I just thought that, um, so I was actually honestly surprised, surprised and kind of disappointed (laughs) to see gender differences even beyond, you know, when I was still, um, taking into account all of these experiences at home at school, there were still gender differences, but, um, you know, but, but it's also understandable. Um, and then finally, um, it didn't surprise me not to see, um, uh, you know, differences by by race, ethnicity, or social class, um, you know, because in the history of technology, well, you know, career and technology education for for you know decades and decades and decades was was largely where they would push all the lower income and students of color into, um, those, those fields. So, you know, it was not a surprise at all. It's like, well, you know, we're just thinking about technologies differently now. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're thinking of them as more academic at this point, but for a very long time, they were, you know, uh, more technical and career oriented ways of thinking about technology. Um, but what surprised me about that was, and it was just a challenge for me to think about, okay, so then how do I talk about that? Right. How do I interpret this? Someone said to me, um, when I was presenting this work, oh, that that's um, such a missed opportunity. And I was like, it's not just a missed opportunity. That is, you know, systemic classism and racism, (laughs) right? Um, that I'm observing. And so I needed much uh, uh, stronger ways of talking about those things and um, and really pointing that out. Um, so that wasn't that wasn't surprising necessarily, but it was just a challenge of how to communicate the implications of that finding was the, I guess, surprising thing. You know, we might think, oh, but that's past history. And 
my book is showing, no, it's still happening today. We're still not recognizing these kids. And obviously they're not ending up in tech fields. And if they are, they're being pushed out. Um, and, and really highlighting that was, was one of the things that I don't think going in that I knew that that's the conclusion I would come to. Where can people follow you, follow the book? Um, where should they go? Um, so the book comes out on April 19th. Um, right now it can be ordered anywhere. So university of Chicago press is the, is where to go. Um, that's, who is publishing it, um, but it's also available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, et cetera. Um, I, by the time the book comes out, I will also have a website, CassidyPucket.com. Um, and then of course I'm on Twitter at Cassidy Cody. Cassidy it was so fun getting to see you again and talk with you. Um, thank you for doing this and of best of luck with the book. Thank you so much. This has been, I mean, it's, amazing to get the opportunity to talk about um, and share the stories of these kids who were really impressive to me and now the world gets to see them so I'm really excited for more info about advertising with us sponsoring the show or if you have story ideas you want to share find me on twitter at ma lesser the tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy a guest in episode zero alumni of two bomber nations Ithaca and the Bronx New York and engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No such thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org.